podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. It is bonus podcast time, gang. Well, we figured it's championship weekend. Why the hell not? We're close to the Super Bowl, feeling that party spirit. So why not unleash the pod goodness in the form of the brilliant Drew Lasker making his season debut. And let me tell you, it is a fine debut indeed, as if that was ever in doubt. Drew, of course, a brilliant broadcaster, part of our team on Sky Sports for the weekly BBL coverage. Got his own burgeoning media empire. Stand-up guy. One of the great, great players of the British basketball scene in the last 20 years. And perhaps most importantly, one of the sharpest dressed men you will ever meet. So we'll get into all of that and more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the fantastic Drew Lasker. Drew Lasker. Man, it's good to see you, uh, not least because it means that you're set and ready because you and I have got a pretty big weekend ahead. Yeah, man, I'm uh, really looking forward to her heading to one of my favorite cities in the UK, in Birmingham, and covering the British Basketball League finals, men's and women's. So ready to get to work, my man. We got a long day ahead, man. It's a doubling down. It's a double bill. Yeah, it's my first double, actually. So I'm a rookie in a game. So you're going to have to teach me how to pace myself. Uh, it's all about pace, all about the timing. Yeah, the t- we had a lot of doubles last season for, for all kinds of reasons. Hey, but my life's a lot easier now because we've got you and the crew. We've been rolling uh, all season long. I was saying to Ollie on the show earlier this week that I've had to really, really up my game when it comes to what I would call trainers, what you would call sneakers, but we would both call <laughs> our, our Jordan, our Jordan one box fresh, because you are, as I said to all hands down the best dressed man of sports broadcasting. I mean, you own, you're owning that space right now. Hey, well, you know what? It, it, it's from the pandemic. I had all these clothes that's been waiting to come out and they just been sat there. So it gives me the perfect excuse to wear them because I don't go anywhere else. So <laughs> um, it, it's exciting to be able to actually showcase my wardrobe on television. So thanks for the compliment, my man. Man, you, you, that's your A game. You're bringing the A game and, and forcing us to do the same. I've got, I think I told you last week, I've got some box fresh goodies ready to go this summer. Oh, so yeah. Be ready. Be ready for that. <laughs> so look, we're going to talk... Um, we're going to talk some ball and generate a couple of couple of key things that I wanted to talk to you about based around stories that are happening in the NFL right now. Some retirement, possible retirement and, and being a top athlete for so long as well. Really keen to get your perspective on on that that phase of your life when you're you're facing down retirement and asking the questions. Antonio Brown and that whole situation is something else I want to, I want to get into as well. Uh, but before all of that, Let's talk about the Drew Lasker journey a little bit. So I can tell by seeing you on the screen and uh, we're going to push video out across all our different channels. But those of you listening to the pod right now won't be seeing this. Drew Lasker with a Houston Texans hat on. So the te- a Houston boy, we are always a Texan. I mean, we, you have to remember it was an, it was the Oilers first. Yeah, that's right. So you were, so you were, yeah, you were original Oilers, uh, Warren Moon era, right? Yeah, well, check this out. So I was a, obviously a huge Oiler fan living and growing up in the uh, suburbs of Houston. And 
my aunt had planned for us to go to Chuck E. Cheese's, which is like a um, kind of like a soft play place in the States to go see Warren Moon. And I think I was like nine or 10 at the time. And you're talking about excitement. And so we we build up all this excitement. We get there and he doesn't show up. Warren. And I am. Oh, man, you're talking you're talking about hurt. This is my first opportunity to meet a professional athlete. So from there, I was very upset with Mr. Moon and I switched over and joined the uh, cowboy crew. Oh, Um, and so, yeah. But funny thing is, is that I actually saw him at the 2004 NBA All-Star Game in L.A., Mm. And I couldn't even go shake his hand because I was still torn and upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that those things, they, they do stay with you for life when you're that age. And that, God, I can imagine the anticipation, the buildup, the excitement. And then you rock up and he, and you never know, right? You're heartbroken. And I'm sure Warren, I'm sure a lot of the parents were, were not particularly happy with, with, with Mr. Moon, but you never quite know now being on the other side of it, right? You never quite know what circumstance you should have asked him at the all-star game. Drew. You should have said Chuck E. Cheese 15 years ago, what went down? Yeah. I mean, I, I was tempted, but it was so many stars in there that everyone was kind of preoccupied, but now being on the other side of it, I totally get it. I understand things come up, you're busy, but I know from my perspective, that's why anytime I get an opportunity to engage with fans, sign autographs or um, reply to anyone in the DMS, I always do because you just never know. So I try my best to make time for everyone It's very difficult, but I always keep that moment in the back of my mind. Yeah, I love that mentality. I, th- I think it's it's spot on, and and I, I try to you know echo that. I try and try and do the same thing. It's good to live life that way, right? And and, and give back in that way. So as a kid, loved your football, but when was it you realized? And did you have to decide actually? So were you a multi-sport kind of kid? Were you? Were you did you have a bit of Deion Sanders about you, or you could have gone? <laughs> you could have gone either way, or were you, were you always going to be a baller? Well. In junior high, I was I played all sports, uh, football, track and basketball. But I guess the turning point, one of the schools I I attended, Katy High School, has the most state championships in Texas history. So um, every year we're competing for a title. Actually, this year they lost in the state championship game. So that's the culture of where I'm from. And I moved there in eighth grade. The school I went before, I was a quarterback. Well, yeah. And when I moved, yeah, when I moved to the school, I remember um, they they tell you um, go to the position that you want to try out for. And I ran over there to the quarterback huddle, and the coach said the receivers huddle is that way. Oh, and man. so um, you know, being a twelve year old kid, I didn't. I think now I wish I would have had more guts and spoke up for myself and said, no, I'm a quarterback. Yeah, but I didn't. I went to the receivers group and that was my last year playing football. And I focused strictly on basketball from then on. That is heartbreaking to hear and uh, and d- deeply depressing, not surprising, sadly, but but deeply depressing. And I guess I guess now I'd hope now thing, things had changed, uh, you know, in that respect. And, you know, the equivalent of a 12 year old Drew Lasker is going into that situation now and not being patronized and not being uh, victimized by ignorance. So, yeah. So that, I guess, forced your hand, I guess one door closes and other opens though, because that rolled you to focus on, on basketball. And that turned out to be a pretty smart and shrewd move. And you've had an incredible journey because 
you're a long way from home, man. But I guess home now for you is, is the UK and it has been for so long. I was actually just telling someone this the other day, which is mind boggling. I've spent more years in the UK, almost as more than I have in the States because people don't know this, but I spent three and a half years in Germany. Um, those are my first memories of my life. I moved back to the States when I was about eight or nine. Oh, you see, you're born uh, in Germany. That's interesting. No, I, I was born in Texas, but my dad was in the military. So we ah. moved around Kentucky, Tennessee. Yeah. And then when I got about six, five or six, we moved to Germany. So, mm. you know, those are my first memories as, as, as a kid. And so we moved back to the States when I was about eight or nine. And then I moved uh, to the UK when I was 22. So, and I've been here, you know, 17 years, which is incredible. So I've been here just as long as I have in the States. So do you consider yourself uh, Anglo-American, Brit-American, or you're still uh, the stars and stripes through and through? I'm a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could be here for 50 years, my man. I am a Texan. You could take the boy no out of Texas. About it. Yeah. The, you know, on, yeah. On the, it's interesting. I didn't know your dad was in, in, in the military. That, uh, this is the thing, right? You work with somebody a lot and, you know, you find, you gradually find out more and more about him. I, uh, this will resonate with quite a few of, uh, of our gang similar age to me. Right. So pre as, cause I fell in love with the NFL as a kid. Right. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of uh, my generation did stumbling across it, but this was as a kid pre-internet, uh, we didn't have cable growing up. Right. So uh, it was hard to get your hands on any kind of football content. And there was a highlight show on channel four. That was basically it. And then we get the Super Bowl once a year uh, but I wasn't allowed to stay up for that as a, you know, as an, as an eight-year-old, right? I wasn't of allowed course. to. So, but what I worked out was that you could dial in on an old school radio, an AM radio, you could find the American forces network broadcast of the Super Bowl. So I would oh, be wow. on Super Bowl night under my covers, you know, light off. So I wasn't getting in any kind of trouble and that signal would kind of drift in and out. So I'd hear as a kid, those Elway Super Bowls and, you know, and <laughs> Aikman and the Cowboys in that kind of era. Yes. And uh, uh, yeah. And, and the speed would just kind of come in and out. And sort of you'd suddenly get some really schmaltzy, bad mid European classical, you know, accordion music kind of crashing in for a minute. And then suddenly <laughs> you're back, back to the American voices radio network radio. Yeah. So that has got, it's got a special place. I think in, in, in awesome. my heart, a lot of our hearts. So a hugely successful career in, in, in the UK and look, you're, I'm hoping you're going to be coming back on the show and we can pick up the detail uh, and talk more about some of the stories of you as a baller over here another time, because I want to get on to uh, well, what we talked about earlier on that we wanted to get into this question of retirement, because with you as a professional athlete, with you, it's really interesting because I having been connected with the BBL in the second year now covering it. Right. But Mm-hmm. Um, loving my American sports, kind of knew what was going on and became aware when I knew I was doing the gig last year and I got the Sky Sports contract. I started looking around, okay, well, what's the what's the lie of the land at the moment then? Who's doing what? What kind of content is out there? And your podcast was pretty much the first thing I saw and it was coincidental. It was, that was pretty much the time it had launched, I think. So it was brand new and there was this a great energy about it. And it's a great balance of fun, entertaining, you guys have got a great rapport, but there's some smart analysis going on, strong opinion. 
Uh, it's a really, really, it's a great show, man. It's a really, really uh, interesting balance. And as I started to look into more, who's this Drew Lasker guy? I mean, he's seen, you know, he's playing, but he's doing this and he's making that look easy. And, and I saw this whole area that you are developing, this whole media play you're making. Uh, and it's prolific and it's really, really inspirational. So tell us about that and your decision to start to migrate from life as a pro athlete to life as a media mogul. Yeah, well, I can't say that being in the media is something that I always aspire to. It was something that I was always intrigued about. I was always intrigued about how does it work? Um, behind the scenes. So this is the great part now that I actually get to see how it works. And I'm like a kid in a candy shop. Um, but it all just kind of happened organically. And when I look at it all now, I really believe that my 16 year pro career was simply to prepare me for this. I always believe that things that you go through in life, it prepares you for the next thing. So I always say this is my, my, my second act um, mm. Now being in the media, being very young in it, obviously with the podcast and here on the Sky Sports Show with you, but it kind of started a couple years. Uh, it started during a pandemic, right? Actually, before my co-founder of Twenty One Media, and it was I actually trained her son. I have a training academy back in the states uh, where we we where we um, focus on skill development. And I was training her son and we became really close. And she asked me if I ever thought about podcasting. And I was like, no, not at all. Mm. And she would keep asking me. And so then I was listening to, I actually had just started getting into podcasting and I would start listening to it differently and thinking, could I actually do this? And then as I kept listening, I was like, it's just a conversation, right? Like, it's not that obviously you got to know your stuff. You got to be organized. And it's a lot, uh, it's another layer to it, but essentially it's just having a conversation. So she got me in the studio, absolutely loved it. And then we started our own podcast, which is called 21 Podcast, which we just cover uh, the, the life of, of athletes and, um, you know, their afterlife. And so that's how it all happened. And then we started the production company because the production company we were using wasn't that great. And we were like, we could do this, you know, ourselves. Ourselves, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my, our producer now, who is my best friend, he actually works for uh, Sports 690 there in Houston. And he came on as a producer. So it all fell in place. And so when this opportunity with Sky uh, was presented to me, obviously it was unprecedented with me being an uh, active player. But mm. I was like, yeah, because I was balancing a lot of other things anyway. So, um, you know, I grabbed it with both hands and, and now I'm here. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, twenty on podcast. Check out twenty on media. Is the is is the the mothership, I guess, and the BBL show yeah. is the is the is the basketball pod, and uh, both worth checking out. Available at all good podcasters. Just on you last year when you were in your final year as a as a player, but as you said, when you got the opportunity doing uh, as many broadcasts as you can, did you get a lot of stick back in the in the locker room from the fellas? Yeah, it was it was interesting because I, I didn't. I didn't really think that players would be listening to the podcast because it's more targeted to the British community mm. as opposed to the players. Um, but they would be saying stuff that was said on the podcast. So I found that really interesting. But yeah, they would be getting on me about hot takes or things that Jay and I would be covering and, you know, surprise picks or whatever. And then I noticed like um, a little tension 
the first time we played the London Lions because I was really hard on London because obviously they come into the league with this with this uh, with this new ownership and a, a lot of money behind it. And I was holding them to a very high standard and I was very vocal about it. And they got off to a rough start. So the first time that we played them, which was on my birthday, ironically, mm. um, I felt that kind of tension uh, from them. So, right. yeah, you know, I didn't make it any easier for myself, but I felt like I was built for that. Very well, hey, yeah, <laughs> it didn't phase you. <laughs> that That is, I guess, a, a common criticism of uh, athletes turned broadcasters, particularly when they're in that transitional phase, either they're still playing which seems to be more commonplace in America than, than over here, actually. Although actually, no, that is actually, I'd, I'd say that is changing. When I say over here, I mean, you know, with, with football, particularly football broadcasting, that, that is, that is obviously changing more readily. But I remember a couple of Super Bowls I've done over in the States for, uh, for talk sport, where we, for the whole week are given through the NFL. So the broadcasting boot camp and then the associated, uh, media program for them. So these are typically current players that go and do two, three day boot camp, learning play by play, learning analysts. Because you'll know this, Drew, from being an analyst. On, I mean, you really have multi multiple hats to wear on our Sky Sports show, right? You're in Prez, what we call Prez, in, in vision with me and Kieran, teeing up the game and the big stories and and the key things to watch, and then analyzing what we've seen. You're doing player and coach interviews, which is a very different skill. And then you're going on comms duty as well. And with Dan and Ant handling that, and these are three very different skills and the boot camp gets players prepared for that. Right. And then as a follow on, they get seconded out to different gigs, relatively low profile initially. So they do like a high school game or a division three college game or something. And then they'll get to do more and more things. And they love working with the international media because when they're at a certain level, they're talking to someone like TalkSport and saying, hey, do you want Mike Adams and Wesley Woodyard and three or four top pros right now? It's like, yeah, of course we do. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're working with working with them in that way. It was really, really interesting dynamic. What I tend to find, though, is that um, if a player is still playing or is just retired, they're often quite guarded about giving strong opinion, right? They're, they're worried to do that. For, for understandable reasons, but that you don't seem to be phased about that, which I think makes you a, a stronger broadcaster for it. Yeah, that is that is a great point. And that was something that um, was brought to my attention by my former coach, Ian McLeod. When I was having takes on London, he pulled me to the side and he was like, hey, you know, just be careful. And I was like, well, be careful for what, because I'm telling the truth. And so I do understand that part because I've been around a long time and I know everybody in the league. I've seen everyone um, from start their career here in the British basketball league. So it is a tricky spot for me to be in. However, I look at it from the other side that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be all the way in and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm going to tell the truth. I just call it exactly how I see it. Mm. And if you are an athlete and you have a problem with that, then then we, we aren't friends because if I was off the air, I would tell you the same thing. Hey, you mm-hmm. need to take better shots. Hey, you need to you need to, you know, chill on your emotions. So I just call it like I see it. I haven't had any issues with anyone that I know publicly. Maybe there's a couple of guys that maybe sneer at me or look at me kind of differently or feel some type of way. 
But I'm okay with that. I understand that this is the business that you're in, that it's better content when you just tell the truth and the community respects you more when you just call it how you see it. So that's the approach that I try to take. And, and, um, and yeah, I just live with the consequences. I think that that is spot on. You know, I remember Matthew Berry, the fantasy guru telling me a story because I, for all kinds of crazy reasons, ended up doing uh, a guest spot on his show every year for four years when there was a game in London. Right. And, and he's a, he's a, a brilliant guy, very funny and uh, really, really smart uh, and has been involved, of course, through ESPN and, and being the fantasy God for, for years and years and has seen it all. But I remember him telling me a story about a show that they were piloting or, or, or had, was on the air for maybe a short lived run around the time fantasy was really blowing up. So he was still kind of relatively new and they were trying to, this was ESPN. We're trying to add credibility to fantasy because there was still this sense, particularly within the game and with players of, um, of, of there was a disrespect and they thought it was ridiculous. And so they were adding pros uh, onto the show. So, so it was basically someone like Matthew Berry, a, a journalist or a, a fantasy expert and then pros on the show as well. And he says, he remembers being in this, uh, in this run through of the show before they started recording and in the rehearsal, the player had given a particular take on a certain player that was playing right now. So the ex player, I should say mm-hmm. in the studio, had given a particular take and the producer came in and said, yeah, yeah, you guys are, you're sounding the, the too similar on that point. So I think we need to look at changing that up. And suggested to the ex-player, why don't you take a different take? Now, that wasn't what he felt, but the player said, okay, fine. And when they came to record it, he just gave a completely different take to Matthew Berry's, but also a completely different take to the one that he clearly genuinely felt. I remember, I remember because I was quite early on in my career, I remember thinking, what? And uh, it, it astonished me, but you realize this stuff goes on, right? And there's a lack of sincerity. I mean, another example from closer to home was, I won't name it or I won't name any names at all, but I remember anchoring a radio show and being told we want to do this as a, a topic for social media, right? Which is a really um, uh, quite explosive, certainly inflammatory subject to, to get into. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you can, Nat, you can paint the picture of why you think this and invite. And I said, well, I don't think this. And they said, well, okay, but you, it's going to rewrite. It's going to get lots of engagement. It's going to drive lots of, you know, it's a really hot take. It's going to drive. And I said, well, I, I don't believe, I don't think this, I'm not going to do it. And I, and I could tell I didn't do it. And I could tell that that was definitely marked against me in that situation and mm. would have been talked about. And uh, I've no doubt that that was a, a you know, a, a mark against my name for not doing that, but I'm glad I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't compromise. And, and I think you're absolutely right to call it how it's not times you've got to, you got to apply, I think, diplomacy and pick your moments. I remember when Roger Goodell, so when we're doing the, the London games for the BBC, we have a rough idea of which guests we're going to get, but sometimes, you know, there's a surprise thrown at you, right? And I remember being told in my ear, oh, Commissioner Goodell's coming in. And this was at the time of the Ray Rice situation. Uh, you remember when Ray Rice and yeah. very kind of unsavory situation that was. And I remember thinking, you know, I, sh- the journalist in me was thinking, I've got to ask him about this and how it's, and how the league handles situations. And, but the situation, it was the London game. We only had a couple of minutes. It just didn't feel right. So I think you've got to sometimes we, it's a judgment call and a decision-making process. And 
like so much in life, you could look back on it and think, well, maybe I should have done this or should have done that. But I think sometimes you have to, you have to deploy diplomacy and maybe rein it in, but generally. Well, well, there, well there, there, there's a line. And um, mm. I think by playing so long, I understand where that line is because speaking of your point, I've, I, you know, I played for the Newcastle Eagles my last eight years of my career mm. and I've been really hard on them on the podcast. Now, this is a team that I still work for. I still go in there and see these guys and I'm in practice. So, it, you know, I put myself in a compromising situation. Mm. However, I feel that I critique them fairly and I know which line not to cross. And I think that's why with the in regards to reporting, I feel like it, it comes a little bit natural because I know what questions to ask and I know where that line is. And I wouldn't cross, I would never cross that line. And so um, I think, I hope that I'm correct that at least my peers respect me that I'm critiquing things fairly. And I know where that line is and I, I won't ever cross it. Do you think that helps with the, with the reporting side of your, of your broadcasting role specifically? So just again, for, for context and for uh, definition, we're talking about the interviews you're doing, right? So a post pregame, right. postgame interview, that, that's the, the you know, reporting mechanic. Do you find that it helps, particularly when you're interviewing players, that you are a player in terms of the questions that you're asking? Do you think, and actually when you've been on the other side of that as well, do you find that, because I always find that side, um, that particular element of the role, because last year I doubled down on that for a lot for the BBL, right? And mm-hmm. uh, but really, first and foremost, I'm an anchor, right? I'm I uh, that's what I that's what I do. And whilst I understand the mechanic and hopefully, you know, held my own with the reporting, it's not something that I necessarily um, enjoy as much as as anchoring. I much prefer kind of emceeing it and steering questions. So in that situation, do you think it gives you an advantage as an ex-player when you're doing those interviews? Yeah, absolutely. The one reason is, is because I understand that the emotion at the time. So I understand the emotion that a player is feeling at halftime, whether he's down or up or have a big lead. And I understand the emotion post game as well of how a player is feeling, because I mean, there's not too many emotions I haven't felt. I've been beat at the buzzer. I've been blown out. I've won big and I play big roles. I play small roles. So I kind of have an idea what that player is feeling. So I, I, I kind of know what the temperature is in the time of what needs to be asked and what can be asked, because we have to understand as well that it's television, it's live television. So there is there's times where a player it can be extra emotional. And if you if you push that button, you know, they could they could go off. And, you right. know, you don't want that on television because you got, you know, young kids watching and you don't want to paint them in a bad light. You want to get the raw emotion, but you don't want to paint them uh, negative in that light either. So I think it definitely helps. Um, if I hadn't have played, I think I probably would have known the questions, but I wouldn't understand the timing because of the emotion that's involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. And, and of course, on that our friend Scott Melvin, presumably after every single broadcast, is sending you messages saying, make sure you ask questions because every single time I didn't ask a question, that would be flagged up in my WhatsApp. I could hear a ping and thinking, oh, shit, that's Scott. <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> Scott slapping my wrist for that. Always make it a question. Uh, right. Let's talk some NFL and bring some of these points together, right? Because we heard in the last week after the, the divisional round games that Brady's not sure if he's going to go on. Gronk is said 
this week, if you asked him today or he had to make the call today, he'd hang him up. Rogers were unclear. Is that is that it in Green Bay or is that it full stops? There are some big name, megastar names right now that could be gone this time next year as, as far as life as a pro is concerned. How clear a decision was it for you when you faced that realization that this is, do you know at the start of the season, was it during the season? Did you have a longer term game plan that that was always going to be your last year? How did it, how did the decision come about for you? Well, it, it all kind of happened suddenly going into the season. I wasn't thinking this is the last dance per se. I didn't start having those thoughts until about January. And I started looking at, um, my 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 role in particular, the minutes, I was probably playing well, a career low, seven, eight minutes. And so, um, you know, I just started looking at it all. I started looking at, well, I'm getting older. I'm going to be 39 the following season and I'm going to play less. Like, I'm not going to play more. Like, it's, it's inevitable that your minutes continue to dwindle. But my role on the team, like, was a locker room guy. Um, kind of developing some of our young guys behind the scenes, which is a role that I could have played five or six years and hung on, mm. hung around. But then I started to look at the landscape of everything around me, in particular with these media opportunities, the opportunities within the organization. And I did my due diligence. I just started really seeking out to a lot of people I respect because like, I've seen so many careers in, but no matter how many times you see it, you don't know how to handle it when it's your turn. Mm. You don't know what you're thinking is the right thing to think or how you're supposed to think and feel when you get to that end point. And so I did my due diligence and I spoke to a lot of people I respect. And then when I weighed it up, I was like, you know, this gives me an opportunity to get a head start on my next phase because I could have done that for another three, four years. But, um, you know, I feel like I would have been losing out on the opportunities in particular with sport. I mean, with Sky Sports. I mean, how many times, how many players get that opportunity? Mm. That's not something that comes around every day. So I knew that um, I needed a full season to get every rep because last year I only did about five games and I was in and out. And so, and you never know what else it could lead to. And this is an area that I'm starting to really enjoy and having fun with. And and, um, you know, something I would like to continue on. So that had a lot to do with it as well. And uh, my wife put it like this. And basically when it came down to it, she said, look, you have this opportunity with Sky. You could go back next year, but you'd be playing less and you could be losing and you'd be upset and frustrated that you're losing, not playing. And you'll be upset that you're losing out on them reps on Sky. Mm. And it seems like it's all come pretty true because the Eagles have really struggled this season. So we'd be struggling. I wouldn't be having a role. I'd be frustrated by that and be thinking to myself, man, I could be working on this, working on that. So it's a situation where every, you know, you just have to do your due diligence because you just, you have to do what's best for you. And one thing that I hate to see in the media in particular is that when, when players get to the end, they get that question. I feel like every player you know, when you like someone like Brady, like mm. they've been asking, is he going to retire for the last 10 years? At least, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, you know, enjoy players while they're there. And when the end comes, it comes. But um, as a player, you just got to do your due diligence. It's really fascinating to, to hear you explain it. And I, I guess not every player is able, well, firstly, is in the, in the situation you've 
describe where the stars have aligned and, and the decision is, is made a lot easier for you because of other opportunity, right? A lot of them are, and I know when we're talking and bringing us back to Brady and, and Rogers, sure, it's not going to be that, uh, that abrasive because of the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that they've made. But it, it's those players, I guess, further down the pecking order in the NFL who've maybe earned league minimum uh, and haven't necessarily been smart with their money that then becomes harder because they want to hang on for financial reasons. But for those superstars that don't need to do that, it's the big challenge with them, the the fact that what's made them great athletes and made them uh, the players that they are to begin with, this light, this fire in Brady, and actually both Brady and Rogers' case, they've both got this fire inside them that that makes them the guys that they are. Is that going to keep on telling them that they can and they should keep on playing and they will refuse to believe even when the the talent and in both of those cases they're playing right at the top of their game still which is insane but at some point that doesn't that isn't the case I and mean, Rothersberg is maybe the better example right Rothersberg is was demonstrably this season nowhere near the player he was 7 8 years ago right he was so far off that and there was a sense that he went one season too many is that because it's that fire inside him that he refuses to believe he's not the player he used to be? Well, to, to get to that level of, of a player, you have to have the uttermost confidence in yourself, um, more confidence than anyone could place on you. And you believe that you can overcome all odds. You have to have that mentality to make it there. So when people are telling you that you're done, that you retire, you just you click into autopilot of what you've always done. When you're a little kid and someone told you you would never make it to the NFL, what do you do? You say, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. And so guys like Brady, guys like Rogers, they, 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 they're, they're hell bent on telling themselves that I can overcome this. You know what I mean? And, and usually when you get to that point, unfortunately, you're the last one to know. Mm-hmm. And that is actually the best advice that I got. Um, I actually got it from Scott Melvin when I asked him and he was telling me about uh, Gary Neville. And he said that Gary Neville told him that he, when he reflects on it all, he probably stayed around around a year too late. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and I thought about that and I was like, yeah, um, you know, going out on top is the, is, is probably the best way. It won't get any better than that. But, um, but yeah, I would, I would just say those guys are built differently. You have to have a certain mentality until your body just says, you know what, it, it ain't happening. Um, yeah. You try yourself to overcome it all. You look at Brady and Rogers because that isn't happening with them in the way that they're playing. And, and both are in challenging situations because Rogers obviously, and it's all got pretty fractious with Green Bay. So it's likely that he'll have to reboot somewhere else if he wants to. And he said this week, he doesn't want to go to a team that is is a rebuilding job. So he's only a contender. So that's going to narrow the field, although everyone's, you'd think it's going to want Aaron Rodgers. Brady, it looks very different to even like three months ago, right? You know, with the whole Antonio Brown situation, um, he lost Godwin for the season. And that is a team that having returned all 22 starters this year is going to have to have some kind of reboot next year do you think Brady might be thinking mm, I don't know if we're ever going to get back at in, within Tampa to the levels that we have done uh, of being a serious contender so now might be the right time it wasn't the ultimate season for him but it wasn't a bad season as opposed to hanging on he's playing well in a you know an eight and nine team or a nine and eight team or a team that is eking into the playoffs and getting smashed wildcard weekend do you reckon Brady might be at the end of the road 
I do. Um, for all the points that you just mentioned, and I put Brady and Rogers in a different bracket to uh, Big Ben because Big Ben, it's clear that his talent has dropped off and, and, mm-hmm. and he's not at that level anymore. Whereas Brady could still play another year. Rogers obviously could play an, another couple of years. But here's the thing when when father times begin to catch up with you is you might be able to perform at that level but it takes so much work behind the scenes, so much extra work that you don't really do when you're young because you just rely on natural ability. But just to maintain that level, you have to put in two or three extra workouts outside of what you do. Now, it takes a lot of resources uh, financially and physically to stay there. And so what the question you have to ask yourself, in particular, Brady, is am I willing to go through everything I have to go through just to perform at this level, just to be average or to lose. Cause the worst case scenario is to do all of that and lose. Um, hence my, what went into my decision-making and like, I couldn't imagine doing everything that I do to not only not play, but to be losing as well. Like that's a double whammy. So mm. that's why you always hear veterans say, I want to go and win a championship. I want to be in a winning situation. Cause you have to put in so much work just to be at that level that, you don't want to do it and be losing. That's not a great, great situation That's to be in. Not a great look. So Brady, you think could be the end of the road. What about Rogers? Do you sense that he, cause he's had a very odd year, hasn't he? Which kind of started with the whole jeopardy stuff. And then uh, the, I'm want to be out of green Bay and all the rumors and the last dance images that he put out with Devonte Adams and the opening of the season. Remember they got smashed week yeah. one and, and then he goes on and has, surely he's going to be MVP, but then it falls short in the playoffs looks thoroughly annoyed with everything around him. So he's hard to read the whole COVID thing as well, of course, and the, and the whole, va- you know, vaccination thing or, or lack of. So he's had a turbulent 12 months. Do you think he might, because of that thing, ah, enough, I'm out of here. Or given the way he's playing back to back MVPs, he can't, I can't, he can't walk away from that. No, he's, he's too young and, and, and playing at too high of a level. I just think he needs a fresh start. Um, he just needs a new city. Um, cause when you do switch teams, cause I've had switched teams before, um, you're rejuvenated. Uh, it's like, it, it's, it's like, um, you know, being a kid, having to learn a new city, mm. having to learn, um, new plays, all these things, which, motivates you. So I think for Rogers, he just needs, uh, he just needs some motivation and, and wherever he goes outside of green Bay is going to be slightly warmer. So that's going to be motivating. Yeah. And just <laughs> anywhere he goes. So is, is be warmer, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I just think for Rogers, he just needs a fresh start. Um, and that's why you see athletes when they get to the end of their career, that's why you see very few athletes that stick with the same team because, towards the end, it does get monotonous. And the only thing that eliminates that is being in a fresh situation. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and also almost certainly means he's coming to Miami, which, uh, <laughs> which I would say, <laughs> you know, I'm team two. I'm team two. Hey, listen, we got to, we got to get busy prepping for our, our big day on Sunday. Right. So, but before we go, I want to ask you about the Antonio Brown situation as, as a kind of extension of, again, a, a number of points that we've talked about really, because that is really interesting in terms of, where he is at right now, which is unraveling in, in front of our eyes. And, and it's not the first time, of course, that has happened. And, but it's got to a, to a whole new level. And now he's taken on the Bucks. He's going to sue the Bucks, the team that brought him in, brought him out from the cold, gave him a Super Bowl ring or helped him earn, I should say, a Super Bowl ring. 
And Brady must feel particularly slighted because he was a real champion of Antonio Brown and that's all been thrown back in his face. Just reading the situation from the outside looking in, but nevertheless, as, as a pro athlete, do you have any sympathy for Antonio Brown with his argument that the team hasn't and didn't protect me in the way that it should. So I, I guess I'm talking specifically about the game that he stormed off the field and, and kicked off. And his argument was, well, I was being told to go back in and I didn't feel physically ready and that uh, isn't reasonable. And that's now I know it's hard to look at that argument with any type of credulity when you look at the way he went off the field and the man he was running off the field, I think. So if his ankle was banged up, yeah, you kind of think, well, but we know that Antonio Brown, the guy that rocked up to training camp in a hot air balloon is, is, is clearly a bit of a maverick character. So it's more the principle and maybe even take Antonio Brown out of it for a moment. And the principle of teams asking players to play through pain, to play through the pain barrier in certain situations. Is that something you think we're going to see the dynamic changing going forwards that historically, and I know this is probably more true in the NFL than in, you know, in, in the NBA and, and basketball leagues around the world, but, but I'm sure it exists in that as well. In the past, you would, as a player, I guess, suck it up, get on with it. You don't want to lose your gig. You'd be worried, always worried about that. Plus you're a fighter and you're a battler. That's why you're a pro athlete in the first place. Is that going to change now that more and more players are going to turn around, maybe not running off the field or the court the way Antonio Brown did, but say, no, 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 I'm protecting number one, first of all. I, I, that's the first thing that I thought as I was kind of watching this situation from afar, because injuries in football, just that's always been part of the culture. You strap it up, you take a shot, you take some pills and you play yeah. on Sundays. Yeah, um, That's the way it's always been. But I feel like now, with uh, CTE, all this information, social media, everything is out there. Everyone's exposed. So a lot of this stuff that went on behind the curtains that fans weren't aware of, now they know because a player could go right to their phone and they could tell you exactly what they're going through. And so I feel like football from that standpoint is going to change um, because it's not it's not great because being a former athlete, it's tough playing through injuries. Mm. You feel the weight on your shoulders from pressure from, you know, coaches and players to strap up and play. But it's it, it's it, it wears down on you mentally. And so I do have a you know, if this whole Antonio Brown situation, it just reminded me that you can't ever judge a situation till you get all the facts, because mm. when he ran off the field, I immediately tweeted that's the end of his career. Mm. And then he started talking about this ankle. And then I was like, well, maybe, you know, and then I started looking at it from his perspective. And so, I mean, they say and it's it was always plausible, recent. right? When you hear that, he was like, it was plausible. You think, yeah, as you said, you, that's the culture in the NFL. It would not surprise you at all if, if he'd been told, you know, just get back. What are you doing? At? Get back out there, you know, and even and his teammates, too, I guess. Right. It's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I just kept flip flopping and then I would be and then I would go back to the buck side and I would say, well, wait, even if it was, that's not the way you handle it as a professional. Right. Then I got to look at the I got to look at the history of everything that's happened, you know, with the frozen feet to mm. the situation with Mike Mayock and all these misconducts that that's led to this. Mm. But then when I really look at it, I, I you know, even though um I've judged Antonio Brown harshly, but then when I come back to it, 
I do have some sympathy because I think about that hit that he took from Burfick years ago when he almost got his head taken off. Mm. And I look at a situation like Aaron Hernandez and I look at Junior Seau yeah. and you look at the you look at the the actions before, obviously, you know, the suicides and all There's There's other guys that I can name, too. And I hate to say it, but it seems like to be going down this path and, you know, the sport of football with these concussions, you have to have some sympathy because it's hard for me to believe that that is how he truly is. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a difficult one. It is. And it's really well said and, and playing out in the glare of uh, not just the media, but of course, all the social media amplification. I mean, same thing with the clip that dropped. Did you see the clip the other day where it was him and Floyd Mayweather and uh, Madonna and Kanye? Do you see that clip? Yeah, so with Kanye. I mean, and I'm like, I'm like, I, when, he was with Kanye, when he was with Kanye, I was like, I hope there's no alcohol involved, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. It was I think it was um, Katie Nolan that said, I just can't stop watching this. It's like a dystopian dream just that clip of it going on and but this is it then he becomes you know and it's just to bring those points together we're laughing and it's and that is a kind of crazy 10 second clip but then yeah we could be dealing with something a lot more sinister here that is underpinning this behavior and and then that opens up a a whole new conversation in terms of a team's responsibility to players and and those around him we're seeing that as well like the advice he's getting and inevitably you're going to get a situation like this where people are making a lot of money out of Antonio Brown and they want this to keep on feeding the media machine because they'll continue to make money out of that. And it all gets, it all gets quite sinister. It's very sad because at the end of the day, he is an unreal player. And I think the way this is playing out, I'm not sure we will see him in the NFL again. I think your instinct when you first tweeted was, was probably spot on Drew. And uh, the NFL is, is the poorer for it on the field anyway, man, I thought we'd only going to, chat for 20 25 minutes we've already doubled that <laughs> and they only got started man there's a whole lot so you, we've got to get you back on the show and in fact you know the off season we're rolling all through the year of course on the show so there's a lot of time where we can just breathe and talk and kick stuff around and and i look forward to that um but i will see you sunday man i'll see you hey thanks for having me on i've had a lot of fun today always a pleasure andrew before you go where can our listeners check you out so i mentioned the bbl show earlier on of course all good podcatches 21 media is is the mothership the 21 podcast as well you can download that where else can they catch you stuff yeah they can catch us on on all the um the platforms spotify apple 21 podcast obviously the bbl show you can catch that in particular bbl show on youtube as well that's visual content so yeah man just getting started and i'm you know you're a great example for me i'm watching your footsteps and seeing how you're able to handle all of this on your plate and you're an inspiration man so i couldn't have a better anchor oh thanks man love working with you too i'm looking forward to sunday so get some rest laska we need your a game and get those box fresh trainers out as well because i'm going to be bringing mine <laughs> i'm going to be ready awesome man see you later take care bro brilliant stuff from drew you can guarantee put a stamp on it he will be back soon i promise you that enjoy championship weekend i am mike will be back on monday with me to pick over the bones cannot wait we'll see you then gang bye for now
Social Podcast Network.